Welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Doug Jones. Jason Whalen. And we're ready to have some fun. Doug, I was on vacation last week. Tell us all about it, won't you? Well, I have a specific story about it, so that's why oh. I wanted to share, because it ties into the, the episode uh, for today. You so we were up in Yosemite. We love Yosemite, okay? Yep. Last time that we were in Yosemite was in the summer or spring of 2017. Gosh, way back. Oh, what a different time. I was, it was a whole different time. But I, I mentioned that for a reason, because the day that we left Yosemite in 2017 was the day that r- rock climber Alex Honnold free soloed El Capitan. Dang. If you've seen the documentary Free Solo, you've seen what was going on. I recommend it. It's amazing. Hmm. But so we literally left the park that same day that he did it we found out afterwards of course because i yeah what, i saw an what instagram Ill or whatever. planning that was it, it was unfortunate and the misfortune continues so this last week when we were up in yosemite we didn't bother taking the time to go to el capitan we drove past it or whatever and then mm. i we get home and we watch free solo again <laughs> and so and i so i go i was like i wonder what he's climbing right now go on his instagram and he's literally on the face of El Capitan. <laughs> While we were there, he, he and Tommy Caldwell were spending a few days trying to do the... And anyway, I was like, we missed it again. He could have been there. <laughs> I mentioned this because... Was he... Personally posting to Instagram while he's dangling, he posted a picture from the side of the wall onto Instagram. Yeah, what a beast! Yeah, what a beast! And so, if you want to see self discipline in action, watch Free Solo because <laughs> it is truly mm. insane. He literally ends his Free Solo climb, took him just under four hours to do, and then he goes and he's and he works out like oh that's that's his self that's his self discipline. Anyway, we're talking about the science of self discipline today. Yeah, we are. But first, this is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, but we like to call it the show that helps you grow. I'm just going to keep it the show that helps you grow. Yeah. We're going to be uh joined by our our good friend Sam Stevens who's uh an intern who's here from South Africa. You'll get to meet him in just a minute. But he has gone through a book by Peter Hollins or yeah, Pete Hollins, let's go by Peter, Peter. Um Great, great book called The Science of Self-Discipline, and it it's a book that I listened to on Audible a while back. Absolutely loved it. It's a short, concise read, but very, very powerful stuff, and it's got so many good transferable principles that can um, really revolutionize your ability to resist temptation and achieve your goals, uh, and in fact, that's built right into the subtitle of the book. It's the 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 willpower and mental toughness you need to... Uh, uh, to defeat temptation and achieve your goals, something along those lines. Um, really great book. Sam has read that book and he's gone through and distilled some really good principles out of it um, to give you kind of a Cliff's Notes version. Uh, I encourage you to go buy that book. It is so, so good and such an easy read. You will love it. And whether it's your spiritual growth, disciplines that you're trying to revolutionize or improve on, or some other area of life, this is material that will be super helpful to you. Yeah, and what's so interesting about today is, is literally everything that he's going to be talking about is a doable. It's, this episode yes. is chock full of doables, so just be on the lookout throughout this conversation that uh, it's doable city here. Yeah, the whole thing, top to bottom, front to back, left to right, doables. So we're not even going to have a doable section today because the whole episode is your doable section. Thanks for checking out this episode. Stick around for the theme song, and Sam will be here in just a sec. Sam, how you doing, man? Good, thank you, Doug. Excited to have you on the show today. 
Thank you very much. You're the first intern ever. There's been plenty of interns that come into this room and hung out while recording before, but which you were one, one of them. You which you were one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're the first one ever to be on the show. Whoa! How, do you, how does that make you feel inside I in your heart? I feel privileged. Privileged indeed. You should feel <laughs> well above the other interns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good. This is this will make it pretty easy for you to like. Make all the other interns bow before you. And yeah, I yeah, I already get them to do that. <laughs> okay, good. Wow, wow, I we... like it. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, tell us a little bit about yourself before we before we start off. We're gonna cover a lot of principles, but I want to hear a little bit about you first. Yes, for sure. So I actually come from South Africa. For the listeners, um, I'm doing a year long internship here at Saddleback Church. Currently, now I am on the 201 department, so that's a spiritual maturity. And uh, I got about six months left, but at the same time, I'm studying and doing my master's in theology at Vanguard University. So every day that I'm here, I'm just learning something from the internship, from the degree, from life. Um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. Awesome. What's family like back home? Do they miss you? Yes, Have they noticed they, that you're gone? They miss me terribly. Do they send you mm-hmm. care packages? I actually did get a care package. Hey. I Aww. did get a p- care, care package. It was, it was really great. Lots of food, lots of sweets. We should mention, too, by the time this episode goes out, it's been about a week and a half since South Africa won the World Rugby Championship or something the, like that. The so, World Cup Finals. Yeah, yeah we, we just want to say congratulations. Thank Good you. job. You were rooting hard, I know. <laughs> so go team. Shout out. That's it. Very proud. <laughs> so what, I want to know, what is the one, what's the one food that either isn't here in America or sucks here in America that you really miss from back home? Okay, so in South Africa, we have something called a, a, a braai. And that's a what? A braai. Okay. And that's a pretty much a barbecue. Um, but then on a braai, we'll generally have um, something called buravort. And that's pretty much like farmer's, farmer's sausage. Mm-hmm. And I do miss that. And then generally, what we'll have is a lot of people come over, just like a barbecue here. And we'll do that with a bunch of friends. And just having buravort and the rolls, it really. It really is something that I do miss, yeah. It sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it even sounds delicious, I'm sure, rolling off the tongue, because what an interesting word that is. I Jason, do you want to repeat that? I was, I was trying to think of how to spell it, and I gave up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on from that, because Jason <laughs> and I are destined to look Alrighty. foolish. <laughs> Sam, we're glad to have you. Uh, you. You've taken some time to, to dig into a book that both you and I have read, but you have taken the time to just really dig in and draw out some mm. some cool principles. Mm. We're talking about the science of self-discipline today. Uh, go ahead. Tell us why this matters. Yeah. So why, why understanding self-discipline is, is pretty important is because um, if, you truly, uh, if you truly want to desire something or if you want to uh, actually get, if you want to do something, um, Jim Ron, an author, actually said that we must all suffer one of two things the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And it's as simple as that. In life, we get the choice to suffer in discipline and reap from its efforts, or we can simply suffer in regret knowing we could have been so much more and so much better in life. Yeah, it's basically this idea that either you're going to take this time and focus on making something happen out of discipline, or you're going to like live life and not have the discipline and, and everything that you go that you look back on that in, in it afterwards and say like, wow, I could have either done that much better. I could yeah. have done that differently. Mm-hmm. If only I had been disciplined, right? That's kind of what we're yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. In essence, you'd be doing your, your future self a favor by, by suffering in the pain now 
in the future, you're going to be just so much better off. Mm. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, that is. It's investing in the future. There's some there's some pain and discipline. There's no doubt about it. We're fools to think that whether it's spiritual disciplines or anything else, like it takes applying yourself to get there, and that can be tough. But it's a lot harder to experience the the fallout of failing to do those things. That's great. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. <clears throat> so there's also um, some biological basis for. Um, self-discipline. So scientists have, have actually found out now where um, self-discipline is in, in the brain. And hmm. um, they've also recognized that self-discipline fluctuates. And you can also exercise um, self-discipline as if it was a muscle. Hmm. So if you're a person that you know struggles with self-discipline, this is actually some really good information because you can actually improve and get and get better. That's it. Seems absolutely crazy to me that scientists can, didn't you know, discover where self discipline sits in the brain. Yeah, that's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there's let's, a little pun there. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, well, first, there's a biblical basis for this that that you've got here in the notes that I think is really good. You 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 cite First Timothy four seven, um, mm. where Paul says, "Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness." And um, Paul used a lot of language about personal discipline. He compared the spiritual life to the life of an athlete, yeah. training for an event, training for a race, training mm-hmm. to win a prize. Um, so so what we're, I want to be clear, what we're talking about today are habits or, or um, insights into personal spiritual discipline that have far-reaching benefits, right? They, mm. they, will, they can help us in every area of life. Mm. Of course, the Holy Spirit is accomplishing something in us, uh, but we can cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing by applying our own discipline. Well, uh, yeah, and at the same time, I think it works both ways. I think if you want to have, a like, a, on this show we talk a lot about habits and stuff like that, spiritual disciplines, so those require self-discipline to keep a rhythm of those, make them habitual, so that's a self-discipline. Mm. But there's also <clears throat> the other side of self-discipline, which is to stop yourself from doing things that you shouldn't, to keep yourself from temptations, so mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I think that when we're talking about self-discipline, I think, I, I think like you guys were both saying, it's so vital, not just for the physical life, but for the spiritual life too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else about the biological basis? Of so there's another thing, another thing called willpower fatigue. So if you can think of your willpower as if it's a gas tank, um, if you use it up, it's gonna be, it's gonna be gone. And this is what studies have shown. So if you're if you're facing temptation for long enough, in essence, you're gonna you're gonna give in at some at some point. So pretty much what you want to do is try to put yourself in a situation where you avoid temptation. Um, yeah. Well, I think that, before you move on from there, this is something that I think every single person has experienced. This mm-hmm. is like this gets right to the the common experience of every human being. Mm-hmm. We've all tried to apply ourselves to getting to a goal and failed to get there because we just we just uh, grow tired of continuously pressing in the direction toward that goal and mm, continuously mm. exerting the effort of willpower. And yeah, what this book talks about is that you you kind of run out. Mm. So you have to kind of, you have to build some processes and structures in your life to help you get there. Mm. Good stuff. What else? Um, also, so if you're, if you're under a lot of stress, that just adds to this fight, flat, fight, fight or flight uh, mode in our bodies. And um, imagine... Uh, you're, you're under now a temptation and now you've got the stress as well. Mm. And stress in a fight, flight or fight mode 
um, makes you um, react on impulse. Mm. And pretty much what this book is saying is that you become stupid under stress mm. and <laughs> you do things that you really are going to regret. So in oh, essence, yeah. you do want to put yourself into a favorable position so that you can win. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, anybody around this table done anything stupid under stress <laughs> or, under, or under fatigue? Never. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about motivation and how that fits into this. Mm, so this book is also saying that you can't actually you can't actually do something important in your life without having a significant motivation behind it, mm. and understanding what those motivations are, uh, whether they're extrinsic or intrinsic, is very very important. So some of the the, the motivations that we can find in this book are I'm just going to mention a couple of them. Are challenges. The first one is a challenge. A challenge definitely keeps you on your toes and you just want to be able to triumph at the end of the day. Mm. And one of the, the examples that Pete Hollins gave was every single video game you've ever played. <laughs> you don't get anything out of life when you finish the game, yeah. but for some reason you just want to win and you want to get more points. Yeah. And I always do. <laughs> yeah. You, you might win the admiration of your fellow gamers. Yes. <laughs> but it's about it's, all. It's crazy to think that you're not getting any actual humanly reward out of that. Yeah. But you are just so into the game and wanting to complete it. You're stimulated by the challenge. Yeah. yeah the challenge. Good. Yeah. The challenge. Another one is mastery. And that's just something in humans where we just want to be as good as we can get, just as like Olympic athletes. Maybe yeah. they're born with a talent. However, they want to see how good they can get. Yeah, the um, Yo-Yo Ma's of the world. Yo-Yo Ma? He's a famous cellist, right? Cellist. Yes, he's a very famous cellist. Wow. Let's continue. Okay. The Yo-Yo Ma's of the world. <laughs> Shout out to the Yo-Yo. <laughs> so it really is up to you to, term, to determine whether you've got a negative or, or, or positive motivation behind everything. So you can have an external motivation, so that can be people um, mm. in the world, or it can be something in you. You have a desire to do something. Now, both of those do motivate you. However, understanding if it's external, if you, if you fail, you may, you, the, 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 the punishment that you receive in yourself to yourself is a whole lot different to when you have an internal desire and you fail at something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quickly too, I want to point out it's, it's important for uh, listeners to recognize when you're thinking about motivation for whatever goal you want to go after the goal may look or rather the motivation may look different depending on your personality type and what really activates you. Mm -hmm. If you're the type of person who's just a high achiever, then achievement may be of a valuable enough goal for you. But if you're not someone who's motivated so much by achievement, maybe you're motivated more by virtue and what's right and what's good. Um, then you may need a different kind of motivation. Um, so, so be thinking about your personality and maybe you need to look back historically and say, what are the things that I've performed well at and how do I, tap into that same, the same type of motivation that got me going then, how can I apply that to the new goal that I want to achieve mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. Keep going. What's next? All right. So there was a interesting, some interesting facts, and Pete Hollins took some discipline tactics from Navy SEALs. They're all the rage right now. All the rage. <laughs> and so Navy, so hot right now. <laughs> Navy SEALs are all about maximizing human potential. Yep. which led them to develop this rule called the 40% rule. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, this which, is really good. Which is pretty cool. And what this rule says is that when an individual's mind begins to tell them that they are physically or emotionally maxed out, in reality, they've only pushed themselves to 40% of their capacity. Mm -hmm. In other words, you could probably endure 60% more 
if you just believed that you were capable of it. <laughs> yeah. If you had the discipline to push through. If you right. had discipline to push through, yeah. Mm. So how do you unlock that extra potential? Well, that's interesting because it also it also relates to a another effect, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of, is this is this placebo effect, mm. where athletes are given um, these pills that say you're going to be able to work much much harder if you just take this pill, mm. and then through tests, um, they actually perform so much better, and there's actually nothing in this pill. Yeah, but it's their mind that literally tells them. I've got something extra that's going to help me be better. Mm-hmm. And when your body thinks that you're going to be better, you simply just are. Mm. You do get better. Mm. And so it's this 40% rule and this placebo effect that it's all about your mind game, your mind game. Mm. And if you believe you can be successful, in essence, you you turn out to be successful. Yeah, hmm. you can probably be more successful at achieving your goal than you think you can be if you just yes. push through that initial pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the placebo effect is interesting too because um, that a placebo can actually work even if the person taking it knows it's a placebo. Yeah, it's that weird. The, men, the, the, <laughs> the human mind is a, is a powerful thing. And mm-hmm. even just the suggestion, even if you know it's fictional, that this will help you perform somehow still has the power to help you perform. It's yeah. wild. It, it is, I think it in the back of their heads, crazy. there's always the, hmm, well, but maybe. <laughs> maybe you it know? really is the secret <laughs> sauce. <laughs> oh. So there's there's also something else um, called the the ten minute rule, and so this comes off the idea that our our brains are really extremely advanced, more advanced than any other animal on this planet, mm. and that leads us to overthink a lot of things. But that also makes us gives us the ability to rationalize bad behavior. Mm. So um, this is where this ten minute rule comes in handy. So next time you want to be you want to have a sweet or something. Wait 10 minutes before having it. And what this does is it takes out the immediate out of immediate gratification. And then that helps build discipline and helps improve decision making. Mm. Now, if you still want the sweet afterwards, you can have the sweet. Or you can continue another 10 minutes because you saw how you really did survive. And it really was totally fine. Mm. We should probably clarify for American listeners that the sweet is candy. (laughs) <laughs> okay i'm sure our just, listeners are at least that just just one hey you, you know never what, know jason <laughs> we, we do have some south african listeners that are just going to be rolling That's their true. eyes persistently yeah. throughout this whole Come thing on. what's also cool about this one is that you can do it in the opposite direction so mm. you can add 10 minutes to doing something good mm. so um mm. if you're being productive working on some work mm. you can say hey how about i push myself another 10 minutes and you start really working on that discipline and you mm. and you do much more than you think you can do too. Mm. So it, it can be self-discipline in both ways, Interesting. good That's and cool. bad habits. Yeah, really good principles. You're, you might touch on this a little bit later, I'm not sure, because I'm not sure if I got this from this book or from elsewhere, but listeners who've been listening for a while might, n- I've, I've mentioned fasting, and we've talked about fasting on the show a lot. Mm-hmm. Fasting is kind of a uh, off and on discipline that I that I toy with. But one thing that I find that I've, personally found helpful is to to answer all your objections before you you break your rhythm on whatever discipline you're doing so like for me Mm. there's always the temptation Mm. if you're fasting if you're fasting for like say 48 hours or something like that you're going to be hungry and you're going to just go into this mode where you start justifying all the reasons why it's perfect it would be perfectly fine if you just break the fast now you don't Mm -hmm. need to go all the way whatever what i've started doing is is dealing with like answering all those 
excuses in my mind consciously. Like, yeah, I'm trying to give myself permission to just break the fast early, but I know that if I do that, I'm going to feel terribly afterwards. I'm going to kick myself. Mm. I got that tiny bit of gratification from eating a meal that really sounded good. Mm. And then I'm going to be so mad that I broke a fast that I was really making good progress on and that mm. I didn't follow through on my commitment. So if you if you kind of take those things as they come, answer those things, object against your excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that's been... I'm like, yeah, I could eat, but... I'm gonna feel like garbage if I do that. I'll feel like a I'll feel like a slob because I'm gonna eat something really unhealthy, and then I'm gonna feel really unaccomplished, and I'm gonna <laughs> feel like I didn't follow through, and all those feelings that I'm now remembering will come and will last much longer than the satiation from that meal mm. are enough to help me kind of get back on track. Doesn't but, always work, but, but it's very helpful. But if you were in the middle of a fast, and Sam brought you a breed. Would you good? Would you break the fast? He's like, um, I'm going back to South Africa this afternoon. <laughs> I, I made this borovorsh for you. Will you eat it? I think the smell would be everything. Mm. If the smell was really intoxicating and I wasn't yeah. like mm. under a commitment to God to <laughs> maintain go. my fast, then yeah, okay. I'd break it. I'm not going to be legalistic okay, about that's it. That's right. There's always. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's also other 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 things which help in our self-discipline and one of those is diagnosing discipline drainers oh yeah discipline drainers mm-hmm. and one one thing that this book has brought up is the false hope syndrome and this is probably one of the most common uh, pitfalls for self-discipline and that's when you become overly ambitious and you underestimate the difficulty of actually achieving yeah. that Goal mm-hmm. and goals and some big goals don't happen just at once. And as humans, we kind of need to see our progress as we go along. Start mm-hmm. with baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. Otherwise, we just we just fail, and then mentally we're like, we actually just can't follow through. Yeah, at I think, all. I think that's so good, especially when you tie it in with the ten minute rule kind of thing. Because mm. if you think of it as ten minutes to add to your discipline, mm. you know then that's kind of a baby step, you know? Yeah. So if you think about that's true. about how can you avoid the false hope syndrome, it just kind of go back to that 10-minute rule and, and just give yourself these little incremental wins mm. on either side, and that builds up your, your capacity to do bigger, bigger things. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I've talked about that a little bit on the show, um, I think in a previous episode, um, and I think I got it from this book. This mm. is powerful, powerful stuff. What... What we do so often when we try to start a new habit or new discipline or, or achieve a new goal is we go too hard too mm. soon. And then we traumatize ourselves because we had such a terrible experience. I remember years ago I got into I wanted to get back into running. And I went out and I ran first I ran five miles my first time out. Mm. And my feet hurt for like two weeks afterwards. Like I felt like I had like like strained every bone in my feet. I could barely walk. And it made it hard for me to get back into the discipline of mm, running just mm. because that was so terrible. Mm-hmm. And it didn't allow me to get into a rhythm. Whereas like if you install like a running app or something and you do a running plan, they'll start you off with like half a mile. Yeah. You know, like practically nothing. Yeah. Because it's about getting those little wins like Jason said up front and building momentum. Because you'll get a lot farther mm-hmm. with consistency over time than you will by just trying to go all out day one. And yeah. It's yeah. it's it's what we teach when we talk about quiet time too. It's starting exactly. with like ten or fifteen minutes or whatever, you know, just 
Just yep. give yourself these little ways. And then maybe read one verse if you have to. Yeah, start just do it as every small day. as you need to. Build that consistency, and over time, it'll grow. Yeah, it's that, it's that those small positive feedbacks yeah. that, that help us keep, keep Good going. Good stuff. Another pitfall, so another discipline drainer is a big one that we all have done before, and that's procrastination. Mm-hmm. Procrastination is the enemy of self-discipline because it means that we're generally waiting for perfect conditions just to justify our, our actions. Yeah. Um, and we really got to stop waiting for everything to be just right before pursuing our goals. I mean, if we make an excuse now, what's going to stop us from making an excuse tomorrow. Yeah, that um, has a that can start a cycle of excuse making that is hard to come back from. Mm, and that, right. that that actually reminds me then of of this verse from the wisest man that's ever set foot on this planet, and that was King Solomon. And in, in Ecclesiastes eleven four, he says, "If you wait for perfect conditions, you just you will never get anything done." Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's this quote that you have here that I think is really, really cool too. It's anytime you wait for circumstances to improve, you're telling yourself you aren't capable now. Oh, that's good. Dang, that's like mm. a, that's a hard hitting gut mm. punch. Yeah. Mm. yeah, there's there's no perfect time. I liked what um, we had Alan and Jem Fadling on um, uh, who were a couple of authors a couple of weeks ago. And one of the points they made was talking about spiritual growth. He said, the absolute best time for you to grow spiritually is right where you are, mm. right in your current circumstances, right now. Mm. It's not some future thing. It's right this second, no matter what's going on, now is the time. Mm. So that's a that's a great quote. Mm. I'm going to read it again because I think it's that good. Yeah. Anytime you wait for circumstances to improve, you're telling, you're, you're telling yourself that you aren't capable now. Mm. Wow. Good stuff. There's also um, that common myth in society that we have to be perfect. Um, mm. And there's this rule, there's another a rule that, that's come out of this book is that it's the 75% rule. So mm. if you think you're going to be, if there's a 75% chance of you being successful um, or this thing working out, what Pete Hollins is saying, do it. Mm. Go ahead and do it because you're never going to be 100% right, um, yeah. 100% sure. Yeah. So if you, you're three quarters of the way sure, go ahead and do it. Don't procrastinate. Start now. And if you think you're 100% sure, you're probably 75% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us on from there. So there's, there's another law, okay, there's another law called Parkinson's law. And this comes from and pretty much derives from the phrase, I work best with a deadline. Have you ever mm. said that? Oh or, yeah, I hear that all the time. Or people. I work better under a time crunch. So in essence, Parkinson's law actually validates those those statements and says that um, work work expands to full the available time that you've been given to complete a task. Mm-hmm. So whatever deadline you give yourself, no matter how big or small it is, that's how long you will take to, to complete that, that task. Mm. So if you give yourself a relaxed deadline, then you're just not gonna you're not gonna be exercising self-discipline. If you give yourself a tight deadline, you are going to be exercising self-discipline correcting. Mm. So studies have actually shown that decreasing the available time for completing a task um, cause people cause the task to actually become simpler and easier and get completed in a more timely fashion. Hmm. So Holland's actually um, encourage us encourages us to set aggressive deadlines so that we can challenge ourselves um, to regularly avoid the pitfall of procrastination. Mm. Also, along with that, a long uh, deadline 
generally means a sustained level of background stress. So if you have if you got this this task or this project that you have to complete and it's over a month, you're going to be thinking about that task every single mind, day. Yeah. Mm. And until you finish it, you're not you're not going to feel at ease. Yeah. Or maybe you're 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 a student and you have an assignment, but you decide no, let me rather go watch TV or let me go out with friends. And maybe you've noticed that oh my word, that assignment is at the back of your mind the whole time and you can't actually enjoy being out with your friends because yeah. it's on your mind so mm. what he's saying is get that task out of the way make a shorter deadline finish the task so that when you do go out and have fun you can actually have fun and not mm. not be worrying about it mm. so it sounds like what he's saying is move your deadline forward mm. not push your start time back so like if you want to yeah. compress the time yes. you're working on something yes it doesn't mean you put it off longer Mm-hmm. That's that's literally what procrastination is. Yes. This is not about <laughs> doing more of that. Yes, it's quite, move your deadline forward yes. so you can get it out of the way. That's a big difference between my how I operated during my undergraduate work and how I'm operating <laughs> under my graduate work. When I was <laughs> working on my bachelor's degree, uh-huh. I procrastinated on everything. It was always stressful. Now I just get the jump on things. I start my assignments way early on and just start plugging away. And life is a lot, partly I have to now because I have kids and like it's a whole different season of life. But I think uh, there's some important points here that I would point out too. Mm. It probably, it sounds like we probably need a marriage of these two ideas. We want to compress the timeline because Parkinson's law makes a lot of sense. Mm. But we also don't want to hyper compress our deadline and put ourselves in the false hope syndrome category, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you can over compress your timeline that can amount to a, to a goal or set of goals that's just too aggressive yes. and that you won't be able to do it. And then that, you know, that will breed failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you may end up setting a goal that you were never, you never had a hope of achieving. Like, I'm going to write this 15-page paper tonight. <laughs> well, that's probably not going to no, happen, to be honest. That's, that's... Uh, and, and you're setting yourself up for failure. So, so there's a good marriage there. So don't fall into the false hope category of, of being too aggressive too soon, uh, but also be aggressive enough to exercise your self-discipline and to maintain a good balance in life. Mm, good good mm, principles. Mm. What about the uncomfortable muscle? Yes, there's a chapter that was called Flex Your Uncomfortable Uncomfortable Muscle, and that's pretty much what endurance is. Endurance is flexing your uncomfortable muscle. It's using mental toughness to power past instincts uh, to choose what's easy, comfortable, or immediately gratifying. Mm. So it's being disciplined comes down to choosing temporary discomfort, that actually helps you in long term, as we pretty much have said. Mm. And there's there's one technique that um, helps you flex that muscle, and that's particularly called urge surfing. Uh, urge surfing. Yeah. And so urges are defined as impulses um, that pretty much uh, are formed from habitual behavior or past addictions. And uh, urge surfing pretty much uh, says. Uh, Uh, Urge surfing, uh, sorry, exercises um, self-discipline and mental toughness. Um, An urge is not something that you want to be fighting. This is what this this, uh, law is saying. But you rather want to um, experience this this sensation, observe it, and then let it pass. So you pretty much ride over it like a surfer would Mm -hmm. and not actually fall into it. You experience it, you feel it, you understand the, the feelings that you have, but you're not giving into it. You're not fighting against it either. You're understanding that um, this is something that you're experiencing mm-hmm. and uh, 
yeah, what, what, what Pete Hollins is saying is that fighting an urge is really effective. But curiously observing urges without identifying with them gives you higher odds to overcoming them yeah. and then changing your behavior. So, for example, like when Doug is fasting, he feels the urge to eat a <laughs> he can say, you know, he said, oh, I'm hungry. I understand that. Mm. I can feel that. I can embrace that. But I don't need to give into it right now. And then move on. I'll give you a non-parody version of that even. It wasn't even a parody version. <laughs> no, it was a good point. Um, I Yeah, I'm definitely experiencing this uh, periodically as I fast. And trying to take the observational approach to the urge that you that you're feeling, rather than um, the 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 fighting resisting approach, like no, I'm gonna oh. like resisting uh, is not super helpful. But to observe what's happening, I'm actually able now when when I experience those feelings of hunger, I can kind of like obs- like observe those, accept those, and actually I can even now couch it in as like a as like a good thing. I'm like, this hunger is a sign that I'm succeeding at reaching my goal. Cause the goal of fasting is not to not be hungry. That's like the nature of fasting. It's built, it's baked into the cake. <laughs> what do you want? Oh, cake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the nature of fasting is to experience hunger and resist the urge. So mm. the feeling of the urge or the, f- the feeling of hunger, um, actually is a signal to me that I'm succeeding at achieving my goal. It serves you as a reminder. Yeah, you don't get yeah. to feel hungry unless you've succeeded in not eating. Yeah. You know? So uh, that, that kind of um, becomes a strength after a while if you couch it properly and, and frame the urge in a good context. Also, you can use that as a cue for something else. So say, well, you know, I'm true. feeling hungry. That cues me to, you know, to pray. That cues me to do this. It cues me to think about that, you know. So, mm-hmm. so you can use those urges as cues for something too. Those have been historical uses of, yeah. of fasting, yeah. When I feel the urge to to eat, I am going to pray instead. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and after you've been fasting a couple of days, you're pretty much going to be <laughs> praying <lot>. without ceasing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, urge surfing, good stuff. Yeah, so there's, there's another one um, called uh, pretty much just practicing your discomfort. So what Pete Holland says is that the exercise that most effectively increases the baseline level of your willpower is leaving your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And leaving your comfort zone is important because it teaches you that things you fear aren't as bad as they might seem. Mm-hmm. And every time you learn that, then your tolerance increases so hollands encourages us to inject uh, manageable discomfort and uncertainty into your life because Mm -hmm. discipline itself is inherently uncomfortable and if you improve your relationship with discomfort you can improve your self-discipline a lot of people go through their life avoiding um, uncomfortable things and they end up um, not fulfilling their their maximum potential yeah you you force yourself to remain a sort of baby-like in your in the area of self-discipline. You never mm-hmm. really advance. You talked about, you know, well, and, and, and Pete in the book talks about Navy SEALs. Mm. Like Navy SEAL training, at least as I understand it, I'm not a SEAL. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everything I've learned about Navy SEAL training involves a ton of intentional discomfort, exposing them to extremes mm. of hot and cold and physical stress and and sleep deprivation and all these things because it 
increases, as you said, their baseline threshold for discomfort. They mm. can handle discomfort in the field on a mission mm. because they've been trained to endure discomfort and maintain their mental focus and mm. still get the job done and, and those kinds of things. Mm. And in the same way, there's a spiritual approach to this too. So like just, you know, if there are things that you don't feel comfortable with, like say you're not, don't feel like you are comfortable going out and sharing your testimony or mm. comfortable in mm. in, in, in uh, talking with somebody about Jesus or comfortable, mm. you know, in any other way, shape, or form, leading a devotional, whatever it may be. Making a friend with somebody, Make, introducing yeah. yourself, mm. little things. Yeah, mm. it, it, this falls into that same thing, is practicing that discomfort, and mm. then the more that you do it, the less issue you'll have with it. And who and, and God will surely have great plans for you in and through it. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Holland's actually, he gave an example of um, some things that you could actually do, some little practical things, and one of them was... Um, was how about going go into a restaurant, sit down at the table, look at the menu, and then just walk out. Mm. Just walk out straight off. And he said that would be, the, the be a very long <laughs> walk of discomfort. <laughs> and small things like that, just to start building up your discomfort. After you make them bring you like five glasses of water and then, <laughs> and then free chips, <laughs> then you get I don't know if I could recommend this. <laughs> that just, just sounds not no, nice to the restaurant. <laughs> Yes, okay. but I remember yeah. the but I remember the nature of that. He's saying put yourself in a situation that would that would put you that would make you feel uncomfortable. Exposure. Yeah. I remember as a kid, my parents used to do this stuff to me all the time. You know, like I wasn't, I was kind of a shyer kid when I was little, and I see it in my kids now too. But I remember my parents would would do little things to make me to expose me to that discomfort, talking to strangers, that kind of stuff uh, in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. They would do little things like you know if if we were eating fast food and. I wanted more ketchup. They'd say, okay, go over to the counter, ask yeah. the lady for more ketchup. And they'd make me do that. And I'd go, like, oh gosh. Mm. Or my dad would sometimes, if we'd be at a restaurant and you had to like walk up and pay the bill, he'd give me the money and say, go, go pay the bill. And I'd have to walk over there and I have this moment. And I'd be like, I don't know, six, seven mm. years old, mm. but it would cause me to do something that at the time was very uncomfortable, but was making it more possible for me to interact with adults, have, yeah. you know, function health, healthily in society and little things. Especially mm. since your dad purposely didn't give you enough money. They yeah. they laughed and left you. Whole go- I don't have enough money. <laughs> they said they don't take wooden nickels. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would have definitely increased the discomfort <laughs> <Yeah>. for sure. <laughs> Why have you forsaken me, Father? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else? That's funny. Um, so another key thing in self-discipline is creating a disciplined environment. So we already did touch a little bit on this. Um, but one of the biggest influences of self-discipline is the environment in which you're implementing it. Environmental factors can either enable discipline or they can weaken it. And conserving this willpower is about removing distractions and temptations that could knock you off mm. course. So Holland says that designing the optimal environment conducive of self-discipline is fighting more, more than half the battle, not just half, but... Mm more than half and um, one of the key things he brings into um, a to creating a disciplined environment is minimizing distractions if you're constantly distracted you pretty much succumb to temptations without even giving you yourself a chance to exercise the willpower that Mm. you actually do have and so distractions are are sneaky they eat away at your self-discipline the process can go around, can go on in the background, and we don't even realize that our discipline is relapsing until it's too late, and all of our past efforts 
have been wasted. Mm -hmm. So it's so much easier to put your hand into a cookie jar if it's right in front of you than uh, if you put the cookie jar in a cupboard. When you don't see the cookie jar, you don't you you, you tend to forget it. But if the cookie jar is a see-through cookie jar and is on your table, oh man, you're probably going to finish all those cookies that day. Yeah. But if it's in the cupboard, <clears throat> you you'll probably have one or two in the in an entire week. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Although I always know when there are cookies in the house. Nothing can stop me. I have x-ray vision for cookies. I will find them. So in that case, you don't buy the cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't buy the cookies. Don't even buy yeah, the cookies. Or don't even go down that aisle when don't you're in the store. Just forget about it. Aisle. Yeah. Go back to produce. <laughs> yeah. So he pretty much says that that makes a big difference, minimizing the distractions. Yeah, that's good. Ultimately, yeah, you want to create an environment for yourself that is clear of distractions and, and obvious temptations. But I think it's it'd be cool to talk about the relationships that inform our willpower. So every single person we come into contact with will, according to this book, actually have an effect on the amount of willpower that we have. So there's a large body of evidence that exists that indicates, in fact, we often do not make decisions on our own, even if you think you are. Mm. Rather, our decisions are significantly influenced by the people around us. Mm. Studies, studies have shown that people simply fall into the same life habits and patterns of the people around them. For example... Please tell me this percentage is incorrect. This, this is a crazy percentage. For example, a study has shown that there is a 171% chance of becoming obese if you have an obese how friend. Is, how does... I'm trying to add that How up mentally. How does that make sense? So, <laughs> the people are That number is obese. That is <laughs> an know. obese number. Okay. <laughs> yep, they, those, the, that's, that's the studies. That, those are the I, studies. I am not saying that you are incorrect. I'm <laughs> just trying to get my head around how that works. I, I would assume <laughs> if, that's, if that's almost like a best friend. So that's someone that's around you a lot of the time. So you're mm-hmm. eating, you're doing whatever you're doing for fun, you're doing with this person too. Yeah. Um, so the people around us significant, significantly, as we can see, impact our self-discipline and our decision-making. So uh, you may think that you're acting out of free will. However, you're probably just emulating the people around you. And yeah. um, you may have heard it actually said that you are, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So mm. in essence, you're just like a sixth of you. And the other five sixths is your friend are your friends. Well that's kind of the nature of social beings like us is we kind of we wind up being sort of composites of the people around us. This mm. is why who you surround yourself with is an important facet of of your life. This is why I used to tell you know students in youth ministry, you know, you're going to become whoever you hang out with. Mm. I would tell them, you know, there's an old analogy that youth pastors have used forever that if you have your if you have your hand in a white glove and you dip your hand into a bucket of mud the mud does not get glovey, the hand gets <laughs> muddy, you know, so you're going to, you're going to become like the people that you're That's immersed good. with. But yeah, I remember that quote. That's really good that you, you will basically be an average of the five people you spend the most time with. By the way, God is a person you can spend time with yeah. and he can on. be formative. Um, so yeah, work those disciplines. Still laughing at the mud cannot get glovey. <laughs> I know. Oh, it was always a winner. It always worked. So so what now, what does all of this mean? This means, well, although we can't choose our lovely families, we can certainly choose who we do spend our, our time with. And um, Hollands is saying that we should fill our network 
with the people that you do admire and with people that so if you have a, a weakness go find someone that has that as their strength hmm. start hanging around those people now that doesn't mean that um you can't be a mentor to someone and help others out but this is really saying you do need to find people who are strong in the places that you are weak um, and being mindful of those attributes in other people too i mean mm-hmm. I, I think there are people that we may be surrounded with um and they have mixed influences on us, you know. And I think it's it's there's a space for believers to be thinking, okay, um, I love these people. I love my family. I love these people that are in my life. But I don't want to emulate everything about them. Mm. There are some things that I don't want to mimic in them. And if we become sort of, as we become more uh, kind of self-attuned and integrated people, we can start to lean into the recreative process that God is doing and the transformation journey um, and begin, you know, not not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, saying I'll I will continue to love and be in relationship with this person, mm. but I'm going to create maybe boundaries that are healthier, mm. or I will um, be a little bit more mindful about the attributes that I allow to 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 start being fostered in me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a lot of ways to handle that. And it'll look different for for each person, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, this this also does bring up the idea of the accountability partners. Mm. And an accountability partner is really powerful in helping, helping both you and your partner achieve something mm. because, it, as, as Holland says, it, it combines elements that influence your, your behavior, including social pressure. Mm. I'm not wanting to let your teammate down, letting your friend down. And the way your brain also wants to emulate those around you. So if you said to your friend, okay, we're going to wake up at 5 a.m. and go running, you're going to wake up because your friend's now waiting 5 a.m. in the morning, freezing cold. Yeah. And then he's going to be like, dude, what, why? What the heck, man? <laughs> what the heck? I was yeah. out there at 5. Yeah. And that's oh. going to push you to be up and, and, and go, go for a run. Yeah. So what, what Hans is saying is that um, although this is, this is kind of weird, that kind of self-discipline derives a lot from social pressure and shame. So I didn't get up. Your friend's shaming you. Like, why didn't you do that? Um, which I think is a is a is a rather interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk about eating ve- vegetables. Alrighty. Why you should always eat your vegetables first. So there was this um, actually pretty fa- famous Stanford marshmallow ex- uh, experiment, which I think you guys everybody can, must know that by now. That that's a famous one. Look that up online. Um, but what they, from the data they collected, they, they saw that delayed gratification, in essence, eating your dessert last, is a crucial life skill in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So eating your vegetables first, even starting from when you're a kid, shows that you, in essence, will be more successful. It might be one of the foundation of skills that underlie high achievement, is, is what the book said. Yeah. And choosing these long-term benefits over short-term pleasure is at the heart of a self-disciplined lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and in essence, eating your vegetables first is, is thinking of self-discipline as thinking about your future self, the one you are delaying this gratification for. Mm-hmm. So which brings, brings it to this, this point of acting on behalf of your future self, which is this visualization process. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so if you're struggling with discipline, that can be seen as yourself struggling to put your future well-being ahead of your current uh, current happiness and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, so psychologists have, have actually found getting people to think long-term 
has, has actually been very, very difficult. Mm. But what they found, what worked out was actually visualizing exactly who you are, who you will be, and who you want to be. And the, the tangible visualization of your future makes your future self look a whole lot less like a stranger. Mm. And then by visualizing yourself, people are much more likely to make decisions that are better for them in the long term. Mm. That's great stuff. Run us through, uh, we're running out of time, but run okay. us through these, these questions, these uh, questions that we can ask ourselves uh, yes. on this journey. Yes, yeah, so these, these would be um, four questions, and these would be in case of temptation. So this would be, in, in essence, um, if you're wanting to do something bad, these are the questions you should ask yourself. Mm. Because sometimes self-discipline is um, rather difficult. Um, you can ask yourself these questions. So, Doug, if you were fasting but you wanted to eat the borovosh, <laughs> ask yourself these questions. Okay. All okay. Right. So, question one. Do I want to be discipl a disciplined person or not? Again, depends on the smell. <laughs> <laughs> Do I want to be a disciplined person or not? Hmm. One lapse in discipline doesn't make you an undisciplined person it really does just make you human but when you approach a decision or action as if it was just that black or white do i want to be disciplined or not hmm. it provides strong motivation against failure because you don't want to view yourself that as a person who doesn't have self-discipline right you obviously want to answer that as yes yeah. i do want to be disciplined and since there is no way to answer uh, there is no way to answer yes and to then have a lapse in discipline you'll feel compelled to follow through and make the right decision. Mm, that's good. Question two. Question two. Am I doing the right thing or simply what's easy? Mm, yeah. Mm. When you can confidently say that you're doing the right thing, you are forced to see how you're making excuses for yourself. Mm. Instead of rationalizing, skipping a run because it's too hot outside or it's too late, you just have to start saying, I'm not going to go running today because I'm, too soft and too lazy to maintain <laughs> discipline. <laughs> Listen up, self. <laughs> you need to get your rear in gear. Yeah, right. so doing the right thing may feel harder at the moment, um, but it really does help self-discipline at the end. Well, facing the truth of the matter is is important. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you're because you're, yeah, it's not really that hot outside. Yeah, you you could do this. You're just making excuses. Mm -hmm. You're being soft. <laughs> All right, question three. Question three. So. These are the vegetables. So what am I getting for dessert? Mm. The disciplined behavior, obviously, is the vegetables, are the vegetables, and the payoff here is the dessert. Mm. And it's easy to falter when you forget what your payoff is. It's easy to falter when you forget what is my dessert. Mm -hmm. Which is probably more your long-term goal. Yeah. Yes. Like your desired yeah. future. It's what you that's do want, it. yeah. That's right. exactly it. So if you lose sight of your goals or the reward... Uh, you'll feel like you're just experiencing pointless suffering. If you right. don't know what your dessert is, you're just experiencing pointless suffering. Yeah. And we can lose um, our uh, side of the dessert in two ways. Firstly, we can forget it. So that's why we need to constantly remind ourselves. Mm. Or secondly, the dessert just isn't as compelling. Mm. So it's just not tied to something that is sufficiently motivating. Yeah. And if it's not significant, uh, significant enough, it's going to make discipline that much harder. Mm. So you pretty much need to ensure that your payoff pay 
really can motivate you. Your dessert needs to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure the dessert isn't like, you know, a fruit tart. <laughs> oh, gosh. A fig, a fig, <laughs> a fig Newton. Newton. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's got to be something better than that. <laughs> All right, what about question four? Question four, and this one is the last question if you're in the face of temptation. And the question is, am I being self-aware? So our brains simply seek hedonic pleasure the vast majority of the time. And with increased self-awareness, you can examine your patterns and your behaviors that lead you down negative paths. Mm. So it's pretty much knowing your triggers, knowing, you know, what, what, you know, how you... Uh, hmm. You know, if you see something online, or oh, that's going to make me feel a certain way, um, you just need to, in essence, know yourself, be self-aware, know your triggers, hmm. Hmm. because yeah. knowing your self-awareness helps you catch yourself a little earlier than usual. That's good. Let me just reiterate these four questions quickly, just so everybody has them. Yeah, good. Do I want to be a disciplined person or not? Am I doing the right thing or simply what's easy? These are the vegetables, so what am I getting for dessert? And am I being self-aware? Yeah, those are really good. That, that's going to be a big doable for the day. Just yeah. ask yourself those questions. Next, You've already got goals. You've already got something you're trying to achieve. I'm sure of it. Uh, next time you're tempted <clears throat> to do something that's counterproductive to those goals or counterproductive to your spiritual growth or whatever, ask yourself those four questions. Confront those questions and let them, let them steer you back on track. Uh, for time, Sam, let's jump down and, and talk about uh, building routines and habits for ultimate self-discipline and, and end with this habit formation concept. Great. So in reality, creating and develop good good habits of self-discipline is exp- exponentially more important than even motivation or inspiration itself. Um, the reason for this is that motivation is, in essence, temporary. Although it is good, we do need some good dessert. It is, it is generally temporary. However, if we can build up habits, that makes self-discipline sustainable. Habits mm. make self-discipline sustainable. We actually have a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. Um, David, make a note, will you? Let's, um, let's link back to our – we have an episode on habits. We talk about how important it is to build a system that having a goal – doesn't really accomplish anything. Only having a system to achieve a goal gets you somewhere. Mm. So, so important. We'll link to that. You guys can check that episode out next. Thanks, producer David. Thanks, David. <laughs> he's he's being engineer David right now. He'll oh, be producer right. David later. So, okay. So in, in, in essence, yeah, motivation is wanting to beat the addiction and discipline is just doing all those things that makes it a reality. Yeah. Um, so forming habits really does take time. And there was one little study done by Philip uh, Alali, a, a health psychology, a psychologist at the University College of London. And she determined that it actually takes 66 days on average for a daily action to become something automatic. Now, because everyone does have a, a different um, willpower, mm-hmm. they found out that um, someone could actually develop a habit in 18 days. That means that person had a lot of willpower anyways at the start. But they also found out that the slowest person took 254 days to make a habit. That's got to be an outlier. (laughs) Come on, Sal. Catch up. So the 66 is really an average, um, but that's important to take in. Do something daily for 66 times, you're going to start realizing that that just becomes... So automatic, you don't even have to think about it anymore. It's not, yeah. it doesn't hurt you or it's not painful in the suffering of trying to do it because mm-hmm. you just do it. Yeah. And I'm sure that number varies widely depending on the difficulty of mm-hmm. the habit that you're trying to build. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're trying to build the habit of flossing your teeth 
you can probably do that in a lot less time, right? <laughs> if you're trying to develop the habit of a, a, a daily five-mile run, well, it might take a little bit longer mm. to actually build that in because the, the, the uh, threshold is a little yeah. higher. It's a, that's a bigger leap. It is. Um, and takes more time. <laughs> yeah, but the, yes, it does. It, well, right. That's, it's then all, that's all your feet. depends how, how well you floss. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Easy versus hard, yeah. Um, man, great stuff, Sam. Yes, uh, thank this you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking time. Guys, uh, I'll just, this whole episode's been full of doables. We said that in the intro. Um, so we're not going to land it on one specific doable. We gave you these, those questions to, to use to assess your, um, your, your progress toward your goals and keep yourself mm-hmm. from getting off track. Um, I would say to start doing something with the 10 minute rule. Mm. Yeah, that was really good. Mm. Use the That's 10 minute kind of rule. That's kind of easy. Like I, I can add 10 minutes or, or take 10 minutes. Or, you know, I can, I can hold I can off 10 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. I can add 10 more on or I, yeah, I can stick it out. Mm. Uh, and, then, and then pick up this book. You can find it on Amazon. It's on Audible as well. I listened to it. Sam read it with his eyeballs. You can read <laughs> it in a couple different ways. Um, we'll link it in the show notes to, to let you go buy that on Amazon. Check that out. Support Pete Hollins. It's a great, great little book. An easy mm, read. Concise. But mm. very, it's just packed with great info in a very yeah. small package. So, so check that out. Uh, Sam, all the best to you and your continued internship. You did a fine job today. Everyone, Thanks, round dog. of applause for Sam out there yeah. in the world, all over the globe. <laughs> People are clapping for you. Bovarosh for everybody. Oh my word! Bovarosh. Stop! Please stop. I love us it. All look bad. Yeah, I, I feel great. <laughs> you know oh, what? Man. You went for it. I tried. You get props. I've for learned that. a new word. Good job. That's America. true. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching on YouTube. If you're there. Uh, you know what? How about a rating or a review? Like the video if you're on YouTube. All the all that good stuff. Um, thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.